You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing today? Good? Now, the English teacher has just had a little bit of a moment. If you said you're doing good, I'm just letting you know. I say it too, but... Uh, I'm sorry, English professors and teachers here today. Uh, I am uh, excited to hear that you're doing well because I want to talk with you about something that may uh, lead you to struggle a little bit today. And uh, let me say this on the front end, although our text will lend itself into some possible NC-17 conversations, we're not going to go there. You're welcome, parents. I know that uh, this summer we've got our kids in here with us and uh, we'll be careful about how we talk about these things, but they need to be talked about. And uh, one of the things we want to do is resource you as parents, even and grandparents, and as uh, family members with young children, or as those who don't have any of your own biologically, but love and care for some, uh, and just want to support this faith family, because it takes a village to raise them. Uh, we want to provide resources for you guys, and so if you've got questions about how to talk about the things we're going to talk about today with your kids or with your grandkids, uh, please let us know. I have a plethora of great resources I could share with you or point you to. Uh, we're going to talk about some serious stuff today because as Paul, under the leading of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians, is talking to the church about how to be the church, he doesn't pull any punches because he's obedient. And the Lord is clear that there are struggles with sins in our lives, individually and corporately as the body, that will destroy the church and or defame the name of Jesus. And so he is crystal clear about those issues. And so we're going to talk about some of those today, and it's not going to be easy or fun for some of us, and it's not going to be something that we want to do every week, but I guarantee you the struggles are there for many every week in this arena. In fact, did you know, and you probably do, that, that one of the greatest falling points for anybody in ministry, just from my occupation, is sexual sin. It happens all the time. Uh, one of the uh, leaders of one of our great Christian universities, probably one of the largest universities, Christian organizations, uh, Christian universities in our country, has recently had to deal with this. The, the university has gone through so much because of it. And that's because sexual sin never only impacts the individual that's engaging in it. it not only does it impact also others that that person might engage with in those activities, but it ruins relationships and wreaks havoc on the church and on the body and on the witness of Jesus. And so we're going to look at the text today. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're continuing our series, Walk This Way. And we're talking about how to walk in the way of Jesus. And I want us to go back to verses 1 and 2 in chapter 5 to get the context here. But I do want to make sure that you see that this is going to be about some negatives. So I'm going to talk to you today about the things we must not do according to this passage. I'm going to talk about the things this passage says that we must do. And then we're going to talk about why we must not and why we must do these things. I want to ask for your prayers, for the Holy Spirit to anoint this moment, anoint me in the preaching of the word. And so I'm going to pray. And if you would pray in your own hearts and minds in the same way and agree with me at the end by saying amen if you do. That's what that word means. It just means I agree. And so let me pray for us before we endeavor to go any further into the text. And uh, let's stay in an attitude of prayer as we go through this difficult topic today. 
Father, we want to look more and more like Jesus. We want to experience the joy of being in relationship with you and one another. We want to love you and one another well. So Lord, help us today, not just to understand something, but do enlighten our minds to your truth, but open our hearts up so that we might see areas that we need to repent of in our lives, sin that has so easily entangled us, ones that may not have been a struggle, at least on the surface, for us quite some time, but that can quickly overtake us. And please, Lord, help us to see the blind spots that others might see, yet we do not. Show us, reveal to us our areas where we need to grow and repent, that we might do so quickly today under the leading of your Holy Spirit, according to your word, for your glory and for our joy and for your name to go forth and people to come to know Jesus as their Savior. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 7. Uh, You'll notice I'm breaking it up a little bit here, and I think it does have a break here. Verse 7 kind of pairs the two sections together. It's probably one paragraph in your Bible, but it does lean into a different part of the conversation. So we're going to go verses 1 and 2, which we ended up last time in. That gives us the context, and then we're going to see verses 3 through 7 that are going to give us our our, our word for the day. Uh, If you would, just let me read through it one time, and then we will begin to unpack it together. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Do not become partners with them with them. Listen, I think overall the way I'd like to state it for us today, the way that I feel like the Lord has kind of pressed it on my own heart this week is that, yes, we are to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world like Jesus. We're to be in the world like Jesus, but not of the world just like Jesus. And this is really hard as we try to walk in the love of Christ, the way he has loved us. Chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He's giving the imagery of Jesus on the cross, dying in our place, that this is the way we're supposed to love God and love one another, that we would give ourselves up like Jesus has done so for us. And he tells us then a list of things that are also shown in various other lists in Colossians and Galatians and other places of sins, specifically sexual sins, that we are to stay away from, that we are to, in other places, Paul says, flee them, run from them. The only sins you see in Scripture where the author under the leading of the Holy Spirit says, run from these sins, because you're not to fight them, you're to run from them. And the implication, by the way, is to run straight into the arms of Jesus, 
not running away to get to a place where they will not be, not running away to get your mind onto something other than that just to distract you, but running into the arms of Jesus where we find our only hope, where we find the redemption that's already been purchased in his blood on the cross for us, that is where we run to. But here's the thing. We need to understand a lot of the implications of this before we begin to think that we've got this covered. Some of you in here are thinking, I don't struggle in this way. Praise the Lord. Some of you are thinking, I haven't struggled in quite some time. I feel like I'm kind of over this. And I'm saying, woe to you. We are never over the possibility of temptation. They say to addicts, they talk to addicts, and they say that you're never really over being an addict. You're always an addict is the language we hear. Whether you agree with it or not, that's what they talk about. And so the idea is we never get over being tempted in any given moment for the things to which we are weak. And this is the same for us. And I think we will find the reason why Paul here, in the middle of talking to the entire church about how to be the church and about how to love one another and love the Lord as the church and how to walk in this love, immediately drops into things we should make sure we steer clear of because these are the things that ravage the church and that wreck relationships and that ruin marriages and families. And so let us unpack these things, starting off with the negative, things we must not do. Starts off very easily in verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. What he's basically saying, we must not engage in these things, right? Don't engage in sexual immorality, all impurity or covetousness. Now let me break this down a little bit for us. Uh, The words here in the text for sexual morality, the first one, is actually the word in the Greek, porneia. We've talked about it before. It's the word porneia. You know what we get out of that word in our English language that we use to describe anything that is uh, sexual by nature but is, uh, is licentious. It is not good or healthy. It can be things that we see, things that we hear about, that drive our thoughts. It can be anything. This, this word includes everything sexual that is not good. Right? The next word, just to make sure we get it, he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity, that word for impurity is explaining all things that are in any way unwholesome in the context of sexual things. So not only does Paul, through leading the Holy Spirit, give us the word that covers all things, he then makes sure you say anything at all that is impure, just in case you think something's outside that list. Maybe you have heard people say things like, I I don't think this is a sexual thing, but you know it's still a sexual thing, right? We've heard people, even presidents, say things like that before. Uh, This is something here that we see where he makes it clear to us that avoid all of this. But sexual morality and all impurity, and then he uses a word that might be a little strange to us, covetousness, right? You think, well, why would he say covetousness? That's when you desire something. Just greediness is the word we get out of that. But you must understand, too, that the way this is even used in the Ten Commandments is do not covet your neighbor's wife, Right? In the context here, it could be broader of greediness, but it specifically for sure is also talking about sexual things. So thinking of others, desiring things that are not for you, that are not healthy, that are not holy for you. So he starts off with sexual morality, all impurity, all covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Just so we're clear, in case you're from a different background. That word for saints does not mean those who are declared a saint who have been so good in their lives and done some miraculous thing. 
This word in the Bible is talking about those who have been redeemed. Everybody that is a believer in Jesus is referred to here as a saint. I love the Latin term for it. I'm not sure if I can even repeat it still, but um, the idea for it, the the phrasing used throughout all of theology from Reformation beyond is that at the same time, a sinner and a saint. So we're still sinners being saved by Jesus ongoingly, but we're also saints because we've been declared righteous because of the work of Jesus, that he declared his righteousness upon us and he took our sins upon his shoulders. And so here he's talking to all of us, that it's not, we shouldn't do any of these things as is proper among the saints. So let's talk about it for a minute. Let me give you one more place, 1 Corinthians 6. If you want to go and find the church that is, the church gone wild, 1 Corinthians is the letter to read. All right, everything that could go wrong in a church pretty much is happening in the letter that Paul's writing to the Corinthians in his response to what's happening there. 1 Corinthians 6, is a little bit long, verses 12 through 20. Let me just read to you his words to a church. This is the chapter after he addresses to the church that they should cast out from among them a man who is having this type of relations with his, at best, stepmom. Okay? Chapter 5, it goes directly to the church because the elders have not done what they should do. And he tells the church, cast this man out from among you. You should not be okay with this. You're acting like it's all good because you are uh, saying you're balanced. You're saying it's all right. And he goes off on that, tells them what to do. And then he picks it up just later on down. He says, all things are lawful for me. In verse 12, chapter 6, 1 Corinthians. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, talking about Jesus, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. That's a unique thing we're not even going to unpack very far, but to say this, when you have joined with someone in sexual activity, there is something unique that happens in that moment. And the reason he talks about it, uh, again, later on, about when divorce happens, and this is something that, again, a lot of folks have have gone through for various reasons. I'm not here to, to deal with that part either as much, but I'm talking that what happens is there's a tearing apart two people when that happens, and it is hard, and it is overwhelmingly difficult because it's a ripping apart of one flesh. So that's, I guess, a whole other conversation, but this is why he says, do you not recognize here that when you join to a prostitute, you become one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You see, this is all over the scriptures. We are not to engage in anything that would line up into this category of sexual immorality, not anything at all, because we have been bought by the blood of Jesus and we belong to him period. This is how it is to be. We are bought. This brings us great joy, but we so often will put it aside to engage in things that defame the name of Jesus. 
And this includes everything, not just physical sexual activity, but also lust, the mind, the heart. Jesus makes this clear in Matthew chapter 5, in the beginning of his sermon on the mount. Listen to what he says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Everybody knew that, okay? Ten Commandments. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I'll put that clearly. Everybody who looks at somebody and in any way looks at them in a way that engenders a sexual desire at all has already committed adultery in their heart. Does that sink in? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Look, let me make sure I'm really clear for you today. This may be a moment for some of us in this room where you are actually for the first time recognizing that you've been walking in a level of sin that you didn't realize was sinful. You thought, as long as I don't do anything about it, it's okay. And obviously, that's not okay. Jesus just clarified for us. But I want you to know that if this is the first time that's hit you, praise the Lord. Now you can repent, and you can keep on repenting, and we can walk with you. You need to talk with your spouse about it, maybe, or talk with a friend and have some accountability, and you need to be able to have ongoing conversation about how that's going in your life as the Lord builds you up and begins to tear down those old ways. I will tell you that for those of us in the church, we shouldn't expect everybody that walks in the door to be already in this place. This is not the way it works. I'm going to be a little bit confessional with you, and it's a little bit funny, but not really funny, because I want to be careful. We're going to talk about coarse joking in a minute, okay? Okay. when I first went to seminary, I'd been a Christian since September 11, 2001. I started seminary in January of 2002, so it wasn't even six months. I mean, I showed up, and I was watching Quentin Tarantino movies, and I was uh, listening to all kinds of music that today I wouldn't listen to and I hope my kids never do. Uh, I was uh, having all things put in my brain because I didn't realize it happens in layers when the Lord works on you, right? So I show up at seminary, and uh, even my roommate doesn't want to hang out with me. He thinks I'm of the devil. I literally told somebody that at some point. Uh, He moved out pretty quickly out of my dorm room. I lived cheap in a dorm as a man in master's, right? And as I'm in there hanging out with all these guys, I quickly noticed that these guys weren't doing what my natural mind leaned into. When they were around girls, they weren't looking, looking at them to check them out or in what the scripture says, in lustful ways, with lustful intent in the heart. They kept their eyes shoulders and up. And it struck me really hard because I had never thought about that. I was new to the Lord. And when I saw that the first time, it was like the Holy Spirit gave me a donkey kick to the chest, you know? felt sick at my stomach. I felt like I needed to repent right there on the spot, and I did to the Lord. And I just noticed from then on, I started watching people and seeing what they did. So let me tell you something right here. You may think nobody knows what you're doing when you look at people that way, but people see it. And they know where you are, and it affects them spiritually. Because it ruins relationships when we walk in this way. You may be in a relationship with someone, married, and you may think, all is good. And you may think, oh, that person won't know that I sometimes think about other people, or that I sometimes lust after others. 
And I can tell you that although they may not recognize it cognitively, it affects the relationship when you do it. It it affects how you treat them, how you speak to them, how you care for them. The only way it works the way it's intended to work in a marriage relationship is when you keep your eyes, your mind, your heart focused in those sexual ways only around your spouse. When they are the bar. You see, I don't know about you guys, but I grew up hearing lots of language about comparing one person to another in various ways with how they look or how they talk or how they dress. When you get married, okay, I'm not saying that's good or right there. We're not going to get in that argument even as far as just at the surface level. I'm saying that when you get married, there are no more comparisons because the only one you look at like that is your wife, is your husband, period. And I'm going to use this moment to reiterate something you've heard before. The Bible talks about only three types of acceptable relationships between men and women. Only three. Those three relationships fall into these categories. The first one is fathers and mothers and children, that relationship. So a daughter with a father, as far as opposite sex, a daughter with a father, a mother with a son, that's an acceptable female-male relationship in the Bible. God-ordained. The other one, second one, is husbands and wives. And in that one, that is the the only place where this type of behavior we're talking about can be acceptable when it comes to sexual things. Husband and wife, to see one another that way. And until you are that, you don't do that. And if you don't have that, you don't do that. The only other relationship you see acceptable in here is brother and sister. And you may say, I don't have any brothers and sisters. Oh, but if you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, you do. Everybody else in your life is your brother or sister in Christ, period. Or those we hope to become are brothers and sisters in Christ. When I was a youth pastor, I used to share that kind of information. Now, of course, we get some really big, different types of facial expressions and sounds coming out of youth at that point. Because teenagers would then be thinking about, oh, did I want to kiss my sister? You know, like one of those weird things. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. Think about how you treat people. The only way you should treat them is as a father or a mother, a son or daughter, as a brother and sister, or as your spouse when they are. That is the only acceptable ways. This here in the Scriptures, in Ephesians chapter 5, is an extreme prohibition. Extreme prohibition. Look at what he says. Look at that verse again, verse 3. But sexual morality, all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. That means nobody should even be able to say it about you. This is other places in Scripture that refers to it as being above reproach. No one should have any reason to say about you that this is something you're a part of. Same language again. Flee sexual morality, right? I'll tell you right now, you say, well, somebody flirts with me at work and I'm trying to be really kind and nice. No, don't do that. Be nice. Run. You run from it. You may never have had any kind of sexual thoughts about them. You may never have any kind of, uh, of activity in that way with somebody. But if you even engage in an emotional way in which you should only engage with your spouse, remember, husbands, wives, brother, sister, father, mother, son, daughter, that's the only kind of relationships you should think you should have, right? You can't engage with your spouse about things emotionally. You don't engage with anybody else. And only God is inside that circle with you. And if you have any temptation, you know what you do? You run. If you sense yourself leaning into that, run. You are not strong enough. Jesus is strong enough. You may overcome it. 
Run from it, the Bible says. It's an extreme prohibition. Here's a key truth. Another part of this I want to say real quick is an aside. It's not really an aside. It's right here with this. It's so important that we recognize that what we put in front of our faces and what we put into our minds affects us. Let me say it this way, actually. What we allow to enter our minds will most certainly affect our hearts. So watch out for the books you read. It's okay to read things you disagree with, but don't get caught up in things that draw your heart away from your spouse, that lead you into sin in the heart. Don't Be careful with what you watch. You may think, oh, well, it only has that one thing, and I don't really watch it. I, I have had to learn over and over and over again that the enemy will use everything, every little thing you allow into your mind. And don't we know that he brings things up from years ago even? Let us fight together to not fall into those things because it ruins our witness and it robs God of his glory. Because it's not, when we do that, we are not walking in love the way that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Mark 7, 21 says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery. Let me just say this, and again, we've said this before, but just that the risk, if somebody hasn't heard it yet, the enemy can tempt you. Hear me right, the enemy or one of his minions, a demon, can tempt you. But let's make sure we make this very, very clear. We need to take responsibility for our own sinful hearts. And it is not always the enemy who is tempting us. Sin comes from within. The only reason his temptations can work is because it's already in our hearts. We lean into it. So let us be clear that what Jesus said in Mark 7, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, and adultery. So let us not blame someone else for our sinful proclivities, but let us take every thought captive and recognize that we are sinners, that it emanates from within us, and we must fight hard to be in the right place at the right time and not walking into sexual morality or impurity or covetousness that may not be named among us, which is proper as the saints. Let us walk in the world, but not be of it like Jesus. All right, I'm not going to go so long on all the rest of them. I think this is pretty big stuff. And I can guarantee you right now that there are many in this room who have struggles regularly in this way. I know it because I have been in ministry long enough and been in counseling sessions and been a part of relationships where I've endured this, heard this, talked about it, prayed with people. Pray for our church, brothers and sisters. Pray for one another. Paul's doing this, writing it to the church, not as just individuals, but corporately. Pray for one another. Pray for, you may say, this is not my struggle. Thank you, Jesus. Pray for those for whom it is a struggle. If you have nobody that you're talking to about your struggles, you need to get into a small group so that you can have somebody to walk with. This is paramount. You can sit in here all day long, but when you need transformation, that most often comes in the the context of community in this faith family. Please find a small group to be a part of. If you don't have one, stick around when we're done, and I will get you into one today. Let's go down. Here's another one. thing you should not do. Verse 4, look at it. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. I'm going to slow it down. Let there be no filthiness, 
nor foolish talk. That word foolish is actually comes from the Greek word where we get the word moronic. Let there be no filthiness nor moronic talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You know, back in those seminary days, uh, we would hang out late in the evening, a bunch of single guys in a dorm, okay? All new, and we're hanging out in the dorm till late hours of the night, hanging out in the hallways, laughing, joking, talking. And there was one guy by the name of George. Not my, some of you know I have a friend named George. It's a different George. We called him Jorge to differentiate. Okay, so I'll go by that name of him, Jorge. And he's going to be with Jesus already. Okay, he's younger than me. He's already going to be with Jesus. But Jorge was the guy that the Lord used to really refine me and a few other guys. Now, Jorge was a guy that I would say uh, didn't err on the side of licentiousness. He erred on the side of being a little more pharisaical. All right? he, he, every little thing that he thought was tinging over into possibly getting close to sin, he would just kind of rack you about that stuff. Okay, so we got kind of tired of Jorge pretty quickly with those things. But I can tell you this, that even in the midst of that, the Lord used all of that to work in a, many of our hearts to lead us. Okay? Now, so some of us like to be quick-witted, like to have humor, and it's so easy to step into some of this coarse joking is the safest, nicest terminology used here, but it is wrong. And so when we be sitting out, a bunch of guys hanging out, uh, you can just imagine, you get guys hanging out long enough late into the night, it is not good. We used to tell youth and students all the time, nothing good happens after midnight, Okay? Unless you've got your Bible open in your study and nothing good happens after midnight. Even then, you probably need to recheck it in the morning, right? Here's what I'm telling you now, though. Every time somebody would say anything that edged into coarse joking, Jorge would quickly just call out. He would literally look at us and go, coarse joking. <laughs> just point us out. Coarse joking. And we would write it off and we would make fun of him and we would do that. But you know what the Lord did in all that? He refined us. He refines because we need refining. It doesn't just happen with guys. It happens with ladies. But I'm here to tell you that those things will wreck and ruin our relationship with others, and it will also ruin our witness of Jesus. One person that I love dearly that I did not know struggled with homosexuality when I first met them, I told a couple of jokes that did not need to be told that had to do with homosexuality. Never knew anybody personally that struggled with homosexuality before that time. And I told a couple of jokes, and everybody in the room, including this person, laughed. And then years later, he made it known to me that he struggled with sexual desires for other people in that way. And it wrecked me. It wrecked my heart because I remember the first time that I really met that person, I was cutting his heart for what? A few laughs. Acting as if something that the Lord is brokenhearted over should be humorous to us. And I ruined my opportunity for witness later on. I pray regularly for them. I've tried to witness many times because that person is not following the Lord. They don't claim to, but I severely destroyed that relationship. Jesus can mend it back. But let us not joke about things that break the heart of God. Let us not find our joy in making light of things that sent Jesus to the cross so that he could redeem us. 
Let us take every thought captive. Let us walk in the world, but not be of it. Look at verse 7. I'm jumping down for just a second. He makes this statement. Therefore, do not become partners with them. I'm going to back up and read verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Listen, it is so easy at our workplace, around the water cooler, when we're hanging out in some guy or lady hangout time, or when we're out to dinner, it's so easy to join in and act like things are okay and we're going along with the flow. He says, do not become partners with them. That means do not marry into those who do this kind of behavior. He talks about they're probably not even Christians if they maintain that behavior and are unrepentant. Don't, don't become partners in becoming best friends where you give your heart to them in a way that opens them up to speak into your lives in a way that could draw you away from the Lord. Be careful. Do not partner with them. Do not go along with the flow. We must not do that because we are most certainly in the world, but we cannot act as though we are of this world. We have been bought in the blood of Jesus. We have been changed, redeemed. And while we once used to be like everyone else in the world who needed Jesus, we've now been saved by Jesus and we are different. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about this, verses 1 through 10. Just listen, let it wash over you. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... Glorious words, being rich in mercy. That word mercy meaning his kindness towards us when it was undeserved. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen? This is good news. This is glorious. You've been saved out of your deadness, brought to life, made alive by God, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let me make it crystal clear as a reminder for us. You may be thinking, hey, you know what? I've got this down. I don't struggle in this way anymore. Only because of the gift of the Lord in Jesus do you not struggle with this anymore. Let us make sure that every time we recognize we aren't struggling with that thing, we praise His name. We thank Him for it. Let us not walk in the confidence of our own ability, of our own strength, because our strength will fail, but Jesus' will not. And only in Christ will we walk the path that we should walk in His way for His glory. 
make sure we hear this too. I'm not telling you when I say don't partner. I'm not saying that you should not associate with those who are sexually immoral outside the church. I'm not saying you shouldn't be around them at all. I'm not saying you should run away from everybody that's sexually immoral or thinks covetous thoughts. I'm not saying that at all because then we would have to run away from the entire world. I mean, Paul says those exact words in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when he's talking about that guy that's doing these wrong things. And he says, hey, cast this one out from among you. And he clarifies in verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or calls himself a Christian if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. That's extreme, isn't it? That's because this is extreme to God. Let us endeavor to walk in the world like Jesus and be not of it. The things we must do, look at that verse 4 again. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be, what's that word? What is it? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving. So, It's not always this way and the way it juxtaposes these ideas, but here he says, don't lean into sexual immorality. Don't commit that in any way in the heart or an activity outside of yourself as far as you doing those things. Don't talk and joke about things we should not joke about. Don't covet other people's things or people. Don't do those things, but instead show thanksgiving. Thank the Lord. To make sure I'm really clear to maybe wrap up a few things we heard growing up that were wrong. I know that I heard in various churches growing up. Sex is not sinful. It's not sinful when it's in the confines of a covenant relationship the way the Bible describes is okay. It is good. It is glorious. And it has a greater purpose than satisfaction between the two. It has a greater purpose of pointing to the great joy. Every joy we have should point us to the greater joy we're going to have face-to-face with God for the rest of eternity. You know, it used to really bother me when I read in the Scriptures that you weren't going to be married in heaven. Anybody ever get bothered by that? Am I the only one? I thought, I'm going to find me a wife, and then I'm not going to be married and given over to marriage in heaven? What is going on with that? Like, what in the world? Like, I... I'm going to not have something that's so good here. That's because all these things we have here are meant to point us to the greater joy and the greater good and the greater experience of being in the presence of God. Now, I don't know how that works. I don't even pretend to know, but I can trust it because it's the word of the Lord. It is good. And let us thank the Lord for good things. I did have a couple of friends in seminary that got married while we were at seminary. We were all a little jealous, you know what I mean? We're all single guys living in the dorm, and somebody would exit out of that dorm because they got married, and we we're like, oh, man, like that guy. You know, we saw him walking around the little lagoon in the middle of campus. We knew it was going to happen. We figured it out ahead of time. And a couple of them went on their honeymoon, and they would come back. A couple of them got pregnant on their honeymoon, and we thought, that's what you get, you know? <laughs> like, immediately, you're going to have kids, Yep. That's your punishment for leaving us in the doors. (laughs) 
But what I also know is that at one point in time, one of the couples we were really close to, uh, me and a couple of our friends, really close to this guy and his wife, and they were very just open with us. It was really good for us to learn a little bit about marriage, actually, from that perspective. And uh, she told us a real funny thing. She said that, that uh, when they got married, they went to their hotel the first night, and as soon as they got there, he picked her up, and he carried her over the threshold, and he, he sat her down on the, on the bedside, and they just kind of took a deep breath. And he just kind of sat there, and she could tell his face got more lit up and more lit up and more lit up. And he just kind of just looked at her and right in the eyes. And then he looked up in the sky and said, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. And he meant that for so many things. But that's how we should be, guys, about our wives and about our relationship. Not just about that one part, about all of it. Thank you, Lord, every day. Women for your husband, thank you, Lord, every day. Out loud, say thank you to the Lord in front of your spouse, in front of your kids, in front of your grandkids. Praise the Lord for your spouse. Praise the Lord for the great things that come along with having a spouse. All of them. Be thankful. And if we do that, you know what happens? It changes a lot of these other struggles. If we walk in thanksgiving, it changes how we live. But we must be vigilant and on guard. Another thing you've got to do, be vigilant and on guard. Always on guard against being deceived by others. Look at verse 5 and 6. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. On your guard. Do not give yourself over to a situation where you let your guard down. You are never not on guard. One of my favorite things to do is to put metal things downrange into other metal things to hear a ting when it goes off or put holes in paper. You know what I'm talking about? I love to put bullets downrange. It's so cathartic. It makes me feel released of stress when I go and shoot guns. I like them. I know you may not like guns. I'm just telling you, I like to do that. It's very just frees me up a little bit when I go do those things. And I can tell you, one of the things I've learned is I've studied guys who do it well, and I've tried to take notes from people that do it really well. When you're somebody that likes that kind of stuff, and you start talking to guys that are always thinking about the possibility of having to use a gun to protect themselves, you were never in a green, they call it, position. You were always at least in an orange or yellow position. You were always on guard a little bit. The only time you're never, ever, ever letting your guard down is when you are locked up in your house with bars in the window, guard dogs outside, cameras on, and motion sensors ready to go, okay? And then you're at green. That's it for a few moments. So what I'm telling you is we are never on green, brothers and sisters. We are always on guard. You are always on guard with your heart and mind before the Lord, always. You are watching something on TV and something pops up, Kick it out if it's going to draw your heart away. And you know what those things are. If you're talking to somebody and they start talking in ways that are going to mess you up, pause the conversation, excuse yourself to the restroom, get an exit, flee from it. Whatever, it's got to, whatever you've got to do, make sure you recognize it because you're on guard. We're always on guard. We're always vigilant. Do not let ourselves be deceived. And why? Why is that the case? Look back at verse 5 and 6 again. I want you to see these words here. He just said, 
sexual morality, impurity, covetousness, don't let them be named among you, no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, these are out of place, be thanksgiving, look at verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. If you've been walking in this outwardly Christian way and yet you are continually endeavoring in sin sexually at some way, at some level, even just in the mind, be on watch, you may not be who you think you are. This should scare us. Put it here to the whole church to hear this, for you may be sure of this. All these folks that are walking these ways has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let it never be that we lose one of you that we love because you were hiding in your sin. Let us be confessional with one another and let it be known so we may struggle together and may hold one another up. We're not meant to walk alone. One of my greatest fears is to be with people that I think are believers and one day when judgment comes, I see them and they're excluded from eternity with the Lord. Do not walk in seclusion. Be open. Tell someone your struggles and if they give you a pass, tell somebody else. You need someone that's going to kick you in the rear and love you enough to pull you up and to help you see that you don't have to do it alone. Let us walk together. God is serious about sexual sin. I'm going to tell you a story real quick to give you the impression. You need to go read it. This is your homework assignment. Numbers 25, verses 1 through 9. You're like, Numbers? Yes. Numbers 25, 1 through 9. Write that down. Make a mental note. Numbers 25, 1 through 9. In fact, I'm just going to read it. And you go home and study a little more. Better if I just read the word. The word is way better than me. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. In other words, to a false god. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. God is serious about idolatry, brothers and sisters. He's serious about sexual sin. It says, verse 6, and behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family. In the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they're repenting for the people on behalf of them. And a guy goes and gets one of these ladies and brings them in and takes, them to, takes her to his tent right in front of everybody in that moment. It feels a lot like the culture we live in, doesn't it? When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. God is serious about sexual sin. He may give us time because he is kind and merciful and gracious to repent. But he is serious about sexual sin. Do not think that if you endeavor in sexual sin at any level, ongoingly, unrepentant, that you will inherit the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord is clear. And all of it is meant to lead us to repentance. 
The last why, we must do these things and not do some others so that we love God because he first loved us and so that we may love Jesus and love others the way that he loved us. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, the word says, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Let us not disregard God. Let us walk in holiness. Let us walk in the world the way Jesus has. Let us walk hand in hand with him for his glory and fame, for the salvation of souls, not defaming the name of Jesus, not wrecking our relationships, not ruining our witness, but for the joy set before us in Jesus. Father, we need your grace and kindness. We need your goodness. We need your faithfulness. For Lord, even the faith we have is a gift from you, as we've seen this morning. So give us the faith we need to turn from sin and to run to you, to confess it to you and others that we might find hope in the way that you've created this church to be hoping and bringing hope to one another through our relationships so that you would receive all the glory. And I pray, Lord, today that you would lead us all to repentance in areas where we struggle. Give us that hope in these relationships and ultimately that hope in Jesus that you would receive all the glory is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask this. If you are new to us, we're going to take we're taking communion right now. It's the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate that together as the church. Our deacons that are going to do that are going to walk back right now. You'll see them getting up and going right now. And they're going to gather the elements. They're going to bring them down front. I'm going to pray over them. We're going to put them out there to you. If you're not a believer in Jesus, you're not to partake of that. If, if you're walking in sin and you're unrepentant, you don't need to take that. The scriptures are pretty clear. But here's the great news. You can repent of your sins and believe in Jesus right now and you can partake with us for the first time as a part of this faith family and as a part of the family of God. You can also repent of whatever sin you're struggling with as a believer right now and turn back to the Lord and find his gracious arms wide open just like the prodigal when he ran home to the Father. And you can partake with us and not bringing down curses upon yourself. So I'm going to give you a moment as these get passed out, and Justin's going to play some music in the background, and I'm going to pray right now over us, but I'm just going to let it sit over us, and you pray and talk to the Lord about where you are with Him. And you deal with the Lord, and then we'll take communion together after it's all said and done. Father, we thank you for this goodness, and we ask now you prepare our hearts to join with you as we celebrate the sacrifice of your son Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.